Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Versioning. Versioning. Understanding versioning is one of the more critical things in software development. Knowing the version of a piece of software, library, or component is necessary in order to know what features are available, what known bugs are out there, and how far behind you are. In addition, version differences can tell you a lot about what kind of changes you might have to deal with when you upgrade. This week, we're going to talk about what you need to know about versioning. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, uh, last week I went to MicroConf in Las Vegas. was there from, I think I got there about 11 o'clock in the morning, Monday after a very unpleasant uh, second leg of the trip that has damaged my shoulder. The, the airline seat problem is getting a little worse. Yeah. Um, and when you've got, you know, uh, larger individuals on both sides of you, that is unpleasant for three and a half hours. Um, especially if you can't ever sit back, you have to lean forward uh, the entire trip. Needless to say, I'm, I'm having a lot of shoulder pain from that. Uh, that said, I learned a lot while I was there. Got to hang out with John Sanmez. Got to hang out with actually a ton of cool people. Um, got to hang out with a bunch of uh, Laravel folks. Hmm. And that was that was really neat, just hearing uh, web development from their perspective. Because, you know, PHP is you know not cool in air quotes, uh, as it were. But Laravel seems to be uh, kind of fixing a lot of the things that are going on. It's sort of like how... Uh, JavaScript wasn't cool mm-hmm. um, until Node really hit, and then it was all of a sudden really starting to to hit the right buttons. Like I see that in the future for PHP, um, especially talking to those guys. So that was that was really neat. The other thing is, I had a weird thing happen to me today, and I messaged you about it, saying, "Okay, I think I'm going to be late because we had a client that was having problems with an out of memory exception in a .NET app." And I was tasked with fixing it. And this app is, um, it works. It's a cornerstone of a lot of stuff. There's some parts of the code that are not as structured as I would like, um, including a function that's, I want to say about 2,000 lines, mm-hmm. um, which is a little much. And this thing's, you know, throwing an out of memory exception. So they were like, well, just make it instead of writing to a string builder and then converting to a string and then saving to a file, they're like, just write it to the file as it's going. And of course, you know, that's got a different, the file stream is going to have a different lifetime than a string builder because it was, there's some reuse and stuff in there. And I refactored this thing, you know, rewrote it to use a file stream, did all the stuff, compiled it. I couldn't test it on my box because I didn't have the data and I didn't have all the stuff. And so I just rolled it to dev and my boss tested it and it worked the first time. And there's several hundred lines of code that I fixed. That's always a scary thing. Yes, I do. <laughs> I really don't. Like, I'm very, very uncomfortable with that because I know, you know, like I know how my brain works and like you don't trust that to write the code the first time correctly. And so I'm, I'm like, we need to find where the error is because there is one. Um, so it is running a huge test overnight. And so I'm expecting to see the actual foul up in the morning. It ran through the first time with no issue. So, yeah, I, I should have gotten a lottery ticket on the way to work, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So that's that's what I said. I was like, you know, sometimes it works the first time. And you're like, yeah, I'm just not that good. I'm like, not saying anything about your coding ability. Sometimes you just get lucky and you stumble upon the right answer yeah, the first time. It's one thing when it's like a 10-line you know, fix yeah. or something. But when you refactored hundreds of lines and it's kind of gnarly code with a lot of interdependency and just tangled and you fix it and it just goes it like that's very off-putting to me i'm not comfortable with that because that's like i know there's something wrong Mm -hmm. so uh, how about you well i got thrown into the deep end on some really old stuff and not like the cool low level old stuff that you get to work with but like questioning how microsoft stayed in business old stuff Uh, One of our oldest apps had some issues. So being the API developer on the maintenance team, I got pulled from uh, my meetings Friday and spent all day and most of today working on it. 
let's just say that the platitude of you'll need to learn this for other jobs too makes me want to leave the field completely. Yeah. <laughs> it was that. Was bad. it web forms? Yes. <laughs> now, I'm not going anywhere, but man, I really understand where a lot of the patterns and practices um, that are kind of built into modern development came from looking through this. Right. And bear in mind, I deal with web forms most of the time. Yeah. I also understand why you are grumpy most of the time. Right. <laughs> uh, now, on a funnier note, I've been pranking my mom a little bit. I went down to visit her this past weekend and uh, was telling her about the uh, the Alexa reminders. And so, I was trying to demonstrate how to create a reminder for her. So, I said, Alexa, remind me to poop in five minutes. And it was kind of funny, especially when my mom kept saying, Alexa, ignore BJ's poop. Alexa, ignore BJ's poop. <laughs> to no avail, because, you know, that's not exactly how Alexa works. Right. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, then, you know, it was funny. And I decided, you know, I would put a few time bomb reminders throughout the weeks and months and year. Um, let's just say that my mom was going to get reminded randomly to poop. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, while I hijacked the reminders skill for my prank, I've got something that uh, can help you build pranks of your own with IoT. Cayenne, uh, spelled like the pepper, is a drag-and-drop object builder for the Internet of Things. Now, if you want to use it to build IoT pranks, you are more than welcome to do so. But you can also use it to create alerts, trigger events, remotely control devices, or collect and present data. It has a customizable dashboard for controlling and gathering information from your devices. While it does a lot for you, it even allows you to add custom code for those devices. They also have a Cayenne Cloud where you can build and store your APIs. Uh, the official SDKs are Embedded C, Embedded C++, and MQTT. It supports almost all of the major devices, and you can look up on their website, which I'll include in the show notes about that. It's really neat. I'm interested in looking into it a little bit further. Who's talking to us this week? We got an email from Mr. J. It said, hello, I recently found the Complete Developer Podcast and really enjoy what I've heard so far. I was listening to the episodes you had on burnout, and I had a question off the back of those episodes. Right now, I think I'm burnout or at the point of being burnout. We're in the middle of a merger and also getting ready to launch a large project. I'm not involved in that project. I've been doing maintenance coding as well as support tickets since I've started this position around two years. I do not feel that I'm growing as a developer anymore and doing the support tickets is really driving my burnout. The issue there is I'm the only one that does this work, so I have no relief other than ignoring the work and letting it pile up, making things worse and causing me to be behind. I've been trying to voice my concerns of my amount or quality of work suffering as well as myself, but I seem to get ignored or brushed off by the manager. This has been systemic for quite some time, and I'm not sure how to proceed, so I'm just looking for some advice from an outside party. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks, Mr. J. Mr. J, that can be a tough situation to be in. I really don't like doing maintenance, obviously, uh, whereas Will has made a career out of working with legacy systems. We've both seen people get to the point of leaving a company that they loved because of too much time spent maintaining code and not enough time actually developing stuff. Yeah, and it's it's really easy to get there, right? Like, even though I've built a career out of maintenance, I still build new things. Mm -hmm. um, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm just maintaining old code because that's... Yeah, it's miserable and it's a way to a lower salary and you're constrained in your creativity in a way that's not very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so I get it. And it does sound like you're either getting burnout or you're on the edge of it. No. Um, just from my own experience. I will say starting out that um, you need to have like quantifiable data, like how you feel doesn't 
you know, that's not going to move the needle with management. There's some managers that will. Uh, it sounds like you've already talked to yours and that's not working. Managers prefer numbers. Yeah. You know, don't talk about how much it stresses you out or how you're burned out. Put your focus on this is the amount of work that I'm getting done. Whereas if things were to change, I could do more or show where before you started feeling burned out, you were getting more work done. Not that they don't care. It's just that their focus is on the bottom line. And it's easier for them to um, sell ideas to their boss. Like mm-hmm. they may be looking at it going, hey, he's getting burnt out, but they can't convince their boss either because it's, you know, they have anecdata right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely lean on that. Uh, the other thing is, is when you start uh, dreading going into work every day, for me, that's a warning. I update my resume. I start getting stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've probably jumped around a lot more than a lot of people would suggest is reasonable. I've been okay. That said, the places I've stayed too long uh, have been some of the worst experiences. Uh, don't stay anywhere too long. It's it's pretty much not worth it. And you're better off jumping while you're ahead. You know, if it gets to that point, obviously try to get numbers to the management and let them try to fix it, at least give them a chance. Um, but if they don't, then you start looking. Yeah, I mean, it may be a fact that, hey, they need you leaving before they realize, hey, we're not managing very well. Yeah, well. Um, and and it, you need to get out of that situation if they're in a place where someone leaving is the only way that they're going to realize that. But we want to thank you for the comment. That was that was really great. Uh, great question. Um Send us another message with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also in Instagram, Path, and Tumblr. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter Live every Monday evening where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer listener questions. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. It's that time of year again. Will and I are getting ready for Nashville's premier polyglot technology conference. This year, Music City Code has combined forces with Music City Agile and Music City Data, and by their powers combined, they form Music City Tech. Have you ever wondered what it's like to record a podcast? Well, Sit in the audience as we host a panel at the conference that will later, through the magic of BJ's extensive editing, become an episode. Meet us and the Junior Developer Toolbox crew at our booth and get some cool CDP swag, which just came in. Oh, yes. Music City Tech is a three-day event from May 31st through June 2nd, consisting of simultaneous conferences, Music City Code, Music City Agile, and Music City Data each focused on a particular community of technology professionals held at Vanderbilt University. Speaker selections have been finalized, and the sessions can be found at sessions.musiccitytech.com. Tickets are currently on sale, and you can get those by going to completedeveloper.musiccitytech.com. There's a fair amount of complexity in software and component versioning, as well as some disagreement on what is standard. Even though there are some fairly common practices across the industry, you'll find that they don't apply as uniformly as you'd like. Developers are usually expected to understand software versioning at some level, even though many don't really get their heads around it until well into their careers. So we're going to start by talking about the goals to look for in a versioning system and then discuss the most common, which is semantic versioning, and then a few others. Finally, we'll talk about best practices related to versioning, both on the producer and the consumer side. So before we really get into this, let's talk a little bit about the goals of a versioning system, Um, because there's several reasons you want to actually version your code, and this will sort of guide the rest of the discussion. Uh, The first thing is to communicate change, right? Like if I have two executables and one's version five and one's version six, I know that version six came after version five and was a change from it uh, within reason. Yeah. Now, if somebody really screws up, that may not be a hundred percent true because this is metadata, not the executable data. But in general, that's what happened. Well, the idea is you need to be able to trust communication. Right. Well, like if you can't trust their communication, you also can't trust that executable running on your system. Now, can you? Right. So presumably if you're going to run it, you already trust them. Um, That's what I'm saying is the, the, you need to be able to trust 
that the versioning that they the number that they say that their pattern yeah that it's sane um that said you know there's some companies that do some really squirrely things with their versioning but we'll you know we'll leave that off for now uh the next thing that versioning does for you is it indicates the degree of stability of an application or component so like if it's below version 1.0 it's still a beta honestly if it's any integer number 0.0.0.0 you probably still don't want to use it from most <laughs> vendors because they haven't run into all the weird edge cases and stuff yet no there haven't been any patches right so it it does tell you that information it also tells you you know directionality as far as you know which one's newer which one's not um so like if one of them is perhaps more stable or has fixes over the older one you can tell that from the version number well, i know a lot of places when you go to download they'll have the most recent version and then the last stable version yeah or they or like uh linux does or like well ubuntu does this you know they have the what is it i forget what they call it like the bleeding edge or they what do they call that it's like the latest it's not the nightly but it's mm-hmm. it's something between nightly and the long-term stable and i think maybe it's just called the latest version um but you know the the lts version is what you want to get if you're planning on keeping the machine for 18 months and the newest is where you're like yeah i'm fine with tinkering yeah the the newest is what you throw into a container or a vm to, to play, play around with or if you're you're doing some dev and you're wanting to check out the new things that they've got so that you can be ready for when it becomes stable. Right. And and they also have that kind of versioning in Angular, right? Like the odd versions are, my understanding at least, is that the odd versions are sort of like that. And the even versions are supposed to be the long-term support. Ish. Ish. <laughs> Angular versioning has changed well, version three was my favorite. <laughs> I think it was everyone's favorite. I wish that we there all were no go back. bugs in Angular version three. Actually, <laughs> no, no bugs because uh, they just you know it's it's like Windows nine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, run Angular three on Windows nine, and you have the most stable thing ever because neither of them existed. Um, <laughs> so the next goal with a versioning system is to communicate compatibility with previous versions right and so there especially with the semantic versioning and we're going to get into this here in a little bit there's a way that you can tell you know when you upgrade versions like how big of a change it is so it's Mm. not just oh here's a new version and yeah this may change the text on that one button or this may completely change the file format like you need to know that going in and there's a way of communicating that with the version numbering scheme and you know it's like the difference between going to angular 1.5 to Angular 2. Right. Since we're already talking about Angular, that was a huge breaking change that not only, you know, what you were doing was different, but the whole way you were building applications changed between the major versions there. Yeah. Although some of the minor versions kind of hurt going through there too, but... Oh, man. The the routing between 1.5 and 1.4. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about, actually, was the router. (laughs) Um, And the router actually did have a version 3. It did, yeah. uh, Yeah, that's totally uh, another complete jam. So, actually, technically, there probably were bugs in Angular 3, but there was no Angular 3. There was just Angular Router 3. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it gets it gets ugly fast. Um, <laughs> You'll see where we're going with this, and it's going to be the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, so another thing that a versioning system does for you is it allows you to cross-reference to other documentation. So when something's going on in this version or there's an API of this version and you need to know how to do a thing, you've mm-hmm. got to look for it at that version level because they may have changed it. This gives you – that's the thing that you look at to go, okay, this is compatible. So we've already hinted at it. And we're going to go ahead and jump into the most common form of versioning, and that is semantic versioning. Right. And that's not semantic. That's semantic. Norton antivirus doesn't really come into this. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. Yeah, you're not. (laughs) When I was reading it, that was the first thing that went through my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I had trouble spelling it. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think I started typing it the other way. So semantic versioning is the most common form. You will see other stuff, and we'll get into that later. So this breaks version numbers into four segments, and each of these segments is usually a number. Uh, They each mean something, and they're major, minor, revision, and build. We're going to talk about each one. 
So a major version is a change that is breaking. That means it is something really big. APIs won't work the same. Yeah, file formats change. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that your API endpoints you know, communicate may even be completely different. Like uh, a lot of people switched off of you know, old Asmx web services and went to RESTful. Mm-hmm. And that was a API version change. Okay, so a major version number sometimes does get imp- incremented when it's not a break. But yeah. you can't assume that it's not a break. Because um, a lot of things will have backward compatibility. Uh, for instance, going from Windows 7 to Windows... T- or Well, not Windows 7 to Windows 10, but going from like Windows 8.1 to Windows 10. You know, a lot of stuff was compatible. Like the Windows API, like the GDI... Of course, the GDI stuff that I use at work... Um, worked in 1996 as well um, in many cases, right? Yeah. So, like, the, the backward compatibility, you know, depending on what slice of the thing you're using, that may not be affecting you. But the idea is that this communicates that somewhere in there, there's something that's going to burn you. Well, possibly. It, in other, <laughs> another example would be going from Angular 1 to 2. Right, which was a complete rewrite. It's not even like, oh, this may break some things. It's like all the things are broken. Nothing nothing from one works. And there, there are patches that you can get to to move over, but none of them are really good. Because we were looking at this for a potential client at one point in time and helping them transition from Angular JS to Angular. And when we were looking into it, we're like, all right, well, we can use this that wraps the Angular JS into an Angular component or this other thing that wraps the Angular into Angular JS, or we could just rewrite the app. Yeah. Like there was no easy way of doing it. Yeah. And what you really should do in that case, obviously, is do one in one place and one in another place because developers have different opinions. And that way you never have to worry about bringing the entire thing forward because you're stuck in the mire. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever take my advice. It's basically chaos wolf. Um, so now the next segment is the minor change segment. So that's the you know the second piece. So this would be like if you know you know if you're going from version two of Angular to two point one, right? You know, so it's two point to two point one. Um, the minor version means that changes have occurred but are unlikely air quotes uh, to break something again in Angular that. Dog didn't hunt so well between 1.0 and 2.0. Well, well, the thing is, this is the reason, part of the reason that they rewrote a lot of things in it was that we we mentioned earlier the 1.4 to 1.5 routing break. And we had to, like, we couldn't use 1.5 in one of our apps until we went in and rewrote a lot of things. And so that, that issue was one of the reasons they switched, they rewrote to two when coming out with the the next major was because their minor versions were breaking. Yeah, and let's and let's also be honest the uh, the storage for their Twitter accounts on their personal phones probably was getting over the limit as people discovered this breaking change where there should not have been a breaking change. Yeah, um, I remember that little outburst on the internet <laughs> that was mildly entertaining from a distance. It wasn't so great working with it. No, it um, was not. Now, this might fix something like a non-breaking security change. So if you have, you know, that's it's important enough that you look at it and you go, okay, there's something big here, but it theoretically isn't going to break my stuff. If you're doing something weird, it's still going to get busted by this. It's just normal uh, day-to-day usage. Mm-hmm. Tends I mean, to be what this is. Could be adding functionality, right, to things, um, and whereas you're not major overhaul. But you may add an endpoint. Right. You know, or, or, add, or an overload. Yeah. Or, um, of course, that can be actually a little dicey, too, uh, with the way interface definitions work. That's true. Um, but you'll see that. <laughs> but adding an API endpoint is a good example of that. Or adding additional APIs. Or possibly integrating with something that it didn't integrate with before. Right. Uh, the next one is the revision or patch. Uh, and... Here, changes have occurred, but almost certainly don't break things. Usually, this is put in place when a bug is found. Yeah, or there's a spelling error, 
or something like that. And again, usually doesn't break things is in air quotes because I know a lot of people that depend on things like exceptions to control flow of their applications. So they call something and it blows up and says, oh, file not found. Oh, they catch the exception and they go, what is this? Oh, file not found. Then I do this other branch. Like that stuff will be broken. Like if it was a screw up on their end and they fix it, you yeah. know, if you're doing dumb things, you can you can break stuff all the way down on this. But just like I, I get that people do that. I just, you know, I want to give them the NCIS Gibbs smack up the back of the head. Yeah, but they're <laughs> not here anymore. That's uh, a <laughs> that's a characteristic of those kind of people, right? That's they, true. They're not ever around when you mm. find this stuff. And so the final one here in the semantic versioning is the build. This just indicates the particular build they are on. It's probably not terribly useful for anyone but the developers. Uh, this is often left off of version release to the public. Yeah. So a lot of times you just zero that out. Yeah. Because they don't really need to know that. Like that's the build that the CI server is producing. That's the thing it's incrementing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you do your branching and merging and you, you're, when you roll it from dev to QA, that's when other things happen. At least most of the places I've worked or, you know, they just do it manually and it's completely haphazard, but that's actually most of the places I've worked. <laughs> so most of the places that remain out of the places I've worked do it this way, put it that way. The idea here is to communicate a number of different things regarding version compatibility and the risk for anyone using the library or application and do it in sort of a standardized way. Yeah. So that way we can talk about this different versioning. And I can say, oh yeah, we had difficulty going from 1.4 to 1.5. And and my response is, is why was that such a hard transition? Because it doesn't sound like it should be. Right. You know, or, you know, 1.5.1 fixed the problem that we were having. Right. And you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You yeah, know, because it was the first patch. Yeah. And, or, or something like, you know, oh, hey, which, which version should I get? And it's like, oh, 1.5, but oh, make sure you get 0.1. Because it's got these problems in point zero. Um, now, with the fact that you interpret things as a developer or as a tech person, you need to also understand that clients misinterpret version numbers. Sometimes it comes out fairly hilarious. <laughs> um, so I've had problems with clients seeing uh, a large jump in the build segment, like that smallest number that's like, hey, there's an automated process. Like every time they check in, that increments. They go, well, we missed like 400 bills. Like, what are we paying you for? You're not keeping your software up to date? Like, I've been on the receiving end of that kind of freak out. Which is why a lot of places zero that number out. Yep. For, because, you know, this is, this is the, you, you create something like you build a method or you add an endpoint and then you push it up and it builds. Yeah. And then Will comes in and he adds his stuff and he pushes it up and it builds. And then I come back and I make a fix with, to something and push it up and it builds. Yeah. And here we've already got three builds in, you know, and there may an be hour and nothing a half. visible to the user. Yeah. But the client sees that and they just, they think that they're not getting what they're contractually owed. Oh, yeah. And because so, they don't understand what these numbers mean. Right. So you have to be very careful about that. The other thing is sometimes you run into squirrely little situations where things, multiple things have to have the same version number, but they change at different rates. This happened with the Angular router. Like Angular had a 3.0 router, but it didn't have a 3.0 framework. Yeah. This is why Angular. 3.0? Yeah. Yeah. This is why Angular went to skipped three. Right. Because what they wanted was to get every component on the same version. So there wasn't anybody at four. So they said, all right, the next thing we roll out, everyone is going to be at four. Yeah. And, and then you can have minor versions, but you can't roll out a new breaking, like major version until the whole thing rolls out a new version. Right. And so that's, that's how they got everybody on the same page. And I mean, I understand it, you know, a lot of open source stuff. They built it like AngularJS. Halfway through building it, they realized, hey, we should have done it this other way. And so another team broke off to do that, which is why two, one was so different. And because it wasn't a building on to one, it was, we're going to redo this the way we should have done it from the beginning. Yeah. We call that a nuke and pave. Yeah. And the, the other thing is they didn't stop development on one. 
Because if they did that, they'd be, you know, how many months behind? Right. You know, they had a product to get out and they got it out. And then when two was ready, it came out. And because of all this sort of weirdness going on with that and the different teams working on different pieces of it. uh, And I think it was a wise decision for them to do that. It was frustrating at first and it's really fun to explain to people. But I I think it was smart for them to go, all right, we're going to step back and we're just going to redo this. Now that we've kind of explained semantic versioning and what you're going to see most of the time, what you should be using most of the time, we're going to talk about some other versioning systems. Semantic versioning comes from a world before continuous integration, continuous delivery. Right. Um, Sometimes the first two sections in the version number will have components of the date. Yeah. Instead of, you know, it being a useful version number. So you might have something like, uh, you know, 2018.3.11.92. You know, that would be the build for either March or the third quarter of 2018. And that's revision 11, build 92. And you can use pretty much any portion of the date that you want. So companies will do this, especially if they have like quarterly releases or yearly releases. It's interesting because like, Windows was using the year. Right. And then they stopped. And they stopped. And then now a lot of things like Office and a few other things, instead of it's version this or version that, it's the year. Yeah. Or it's it's a live version and it's like always up to date, like evergreen type stuff like Chrome does. Mm -hmm. And they do have a version number still, but nobody cares except for, you know, the engineers. Um but you know, you'll see this happen a lot. I think Dev Express does that with their components. I believe it's either Dev Express or Telerik. We have both of them in our project, so it's hard to keep it all straight. <laughs> um, but yeah, you'll you'll see this a lot. Now, this is really handy for informing support people or whoever how far behind your stuff is. You know what what's out there. Um, that's the good side. The bad side is it's very good for informing your clients how far behind their systems are. If you have a contractual obligation to keep them up to date and they find out that, oh, I'm six months behind or I'm two years behind, some of them will get cranky. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do, do be aware of that. Now, if there's, if there's an upsell potential and they have to pay more to get the newer version, that's okay, right? It's just when they've already paid and they don't have the new version, that's when they get mad. Yeah, and there, there's there's some trade-off to it, Yeah, really. Um, some software packages just use a single version number that increments with each release. This makes it easier on the users. The problem is development and support suffers. Right, because you can't really... Either you have a really fast upgrade cadence and that number gets really big really quick, or you don't, and you have stuff sitting out there waiting for a patch, you know, just to try to protect the version number. And I'm I'm trying to think of some software that does this. I want to say Firefox, maybe. I don't know. I haven't used Firefox in a while uh, since I got off Linux. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head. If it's evergreen, you probably don't notice the version number anyway. And I think this might be that kind of use case. It, it really seems that it would be. Of course, I think the other thing, too, is... Like, you don't necessarily have to display that stuff to the user on a main screen. That's the other thing is that may just be what you display so that they know that, okay, they're kind of up-to-date-ish. Like, we, we say Windows 10, right? But we don't say it was the 1809 build, which yeah. is what dropped today that hits your laptop mm-hmm. um, when we needed it. Um, <laughs> and you know what? I, I will give them this. It, was, it did not take long for it to, to, patch. to patch. So that was smaller then. So, you know, given all this stuff, there's some best practices, and we're going to kind of get into that in the next section, because versioning by itself is fine and dandy, but if you don't understand how other people have evolved to look at it, it's not going to help you very much. So let's start off with the best practices from the producer side of the aisle, you know, the people that are creating the binaries, the components, the executables, the APIs, those kind of things, what they should do as far as their version numbers to make sense. And I'm going to start by saying that this is the way that I usually set it up and I offer it as an example. Um, take the reasoning and run with it if it fits. If it doesn't fit, do something else. Um, because 
everybody kind of does a little bit different on their projects and that's okay as long as it's understood. Now, when incrementing a version segment number, you want to zero out all of the segments after it. Yeah, in other words, you reset. Yeah, well, I mean, that it's you, like a you would be surprised at how many people think that version 3.1.1 if you increment to version four, they think it should be four point one point one. You gotta be kidding me! I just, I, it just, it seems obvious to me that it's like it's like a clock or a timer going up when you when you hit one minute, the seconds are zero zero. But they think of it as addition. They added a major version, and it touches that column, not the partials. Like they added well, a whole number to a fraction. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that like, doesn't. I had this conversation with somebody. <laughs> okay. Like that's why I'm telling you, <laughs> get that clear. Because if, if you don't, when you have that conversation, you're, you're going to have a hard time processing it. I don't think I'm that dumb, but like I really, when the person was explaining this, I, I just, I couldn't even. And I'm not a millennial, so it's not very often that I can't even. But he could odd. Because it's Will and he's just odd. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they saw version numbers that weren't perfect, you know, integer, you know, with the first segment and there's nothing after. Yeah. They saw, okay, this is a partial. And they thought, okay, I'm, I'm one major version and two patches. Not, I'm one, you know, major version and 13 patches away. Like, just don't leave stuff like that open to interpretation is all I'm saying. Because you'll you'll eventually run into somebody who interprets it. So, with with that one. The next thing is, is you only version the main branch in source control. And this means that if you and I have done a branch per feature and we've broken off and we're doing stuff, we don't screw with the version numbers, right? Because if we do in parallel, merging that back in and trying to figure out what version we are now, right? Like that's cognitive over four. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happened there, yeah, right? It, it Effectively, really is. they said, okay, you know what? We don't know. So we're just going to go up a little bit enough where we aren't crossing and that's and, and that's what you end up doing now this i can wrap my brain around i can see how that could happen yeah. now my question is are you talking about uh only version at, if you have like let's say you have a dev branch a test branch and a and like a master branch which is what goes to like uat or production or whatever do you only version at the master branch or do you version at the dev branch and that passes up yeah it's i would i would probably keep it at the master Okay. But that poses a bit of a problem, right? Because like, let's say that you do a build on dev as you do, because yeah. you know, the thing doesn't run if you don't. Um, <laughs> but let's say you do that, right? You want that version number to go up mm -hmm. in dev and you're probably taking those binaries and you shift them over to QA. You go through the thing. Well, you want to take those same binaries to release because you don't want to make a new one and risk changing it. So that can be a little weird. So somewhat varies with your build process. I would say either it's either going to be master or dev. It's not going to be QA. Okay. Yeah, because you're not going to go in and your your test QA, you're not going to go in and be building there and changing things. That's going to be either a copy from one or the other. And I, Yeah. I, I guess dev is probably the safest. I have seen it done on master. What the way that, that we do it, we build in dev and then we go from dev to QA uh, or to test, and then from test to master, and master is what goes out to UAT um, until we're ready to publish to production, and then that goes to production. Yeah, because it depends on your workflow. If like, because I'll see people that'll have a dev branch, right? And you work, and it's like, okay, we're good to go. We're ready to go to QA. They merge it into QA. That triggers a build. It pushes it out to QA. Once it passes QA, right. if, should it do so, um, then that's rolled into master. That kicks off to like mm -hmm. UAT. And that's the point where you increment the version number, and then that's the thing that ends up going out, out. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, you also have people that they do their builds in dev, and then the binary is what travels, not the source. Okay, yeah, I see that. Um, but then they still have to promote to master, right? And then they got to freeze it and branch it off for maintenance. So, mm -hmm. like, this is one of those things that you just ask where it is, and you suggest it being in dev. It may be in the master branch that goes out. And you just let the DevOps people deal with that. Because yeah. if, they, if they're doing something squirrely, they've, they've done enough hacks to make it work, probably. Or you don't want to be aware of it <laughs> so that you're not in the middle of it. Right. <laughs> you, Unless you, that's your jam. If it's your jam, yeah, jump right in there. It is not mine. You, you just want to pass it off to them and be like, y'all deal with this. Yeah. Here's, here's the code. There's some people that are just configuration nerds and really like to deal with that. I'm not one of them. I don't think you are either. No, we got one at work, though, and he's awesome. He's yeah. He's great. <laughs> so, 
you know, when you got that dude in your office, you let yeah. them deal with it. Okay, so if you know that you're shipping major changes, then you increment the major version number. Like if it's breaking changes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'll do that with marketing stuff as well. You do have to bear in mind that this is a, your version number is something that goes out that is a branding yeah. thing. There's like all that kind of stuff will start to seep in here. Yeah, there's There's more to it than just what's happening in the code. Right. Like we're, we're beyond just that where it may behoove the business to, even if it's not a major change, if it is a minor change. Yeah. But you hadn't released in three years. Yeah. Then it, it may behoove the business to come out with a new version, a major version. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And, you know, I, I think about some of the services that we have, cause we're, we're getting into the, the microservice kind of architecture let's go with one of the services I wrote. We'll just follow the path. So we come across the need for the service. I write a version of it, you know, version zero. And then I come back a little later and they're like, oh, we want to add these things and we want to take it to production. So we create a version one. A little bit later, someone uh, on another team needs something. So they come in and make a change and you got version 1.1. And so it goes through this for a little while. What actually happened was we ran into a situation that we had not planned for, requiring a whole new data model. I also had to make it backward compatible, but I had to rewrite some areas. So that was another version. So there's version two of this application. And then they decide, all right, we're going to move some things around and we're going to put all these services that we're calling together. So it's easier to call them, easier to maintain them. And so that was a version three. So it's, it's, man, it gets complicated. Yeah. Well, it gets even better when you start thinking about components, right? Like, so mm-hmm. like, let's say that you have a uh, API endpoint and it's a version X, mm-hmm. um, but you wrote a wrapper library around it that handles, you know, brokers all the HTTP calls. So you don't have yeah. to mess with that junk. Right. Right. Well, those things probably are not sitting side by side with each other in source control and they may be branching independently. That's when it gets really nasty. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you're, you know, just fixing a bug and it doesn't break backward compatibility, then you increment the revision number that yeah. communicates that something happened. Um, and people will still look at that like, you know, security patches tend to be that sort of thing. Although in a lot of cases, when you added security assertions, you are making a breaking change. It's not an interface change. It's a mm-hmm. implementation change. I have a great example of this. This is something we just came across today, and I, I didn't get to deal with it because I was working on uh, on a maintenance issue. But we came across something where they found a bug in something that had been there for a while. It's not a big bug, but it's just, you know, oh, hey, when someone requests an address change, it doesn't let them change the county. Not a huge thing, but... Something that's important, it just nulls out that field. And so it's like, all right, well, now we just don't know what county they're in. Um, and then you have to do address cleansing and all yeah. that kind of stuff to get that back. Right. So we came across this. And we're like, oh, you know, we we just missed it when we wrote that. Or the county portion was added afterwards. I don't remember what, what the case was, but they came across it in testing. And so we put that in as a backlog item to fix that would be something that would be a minor revision. You know, this would be something that would be, it's not a breaking change. It's a functionality that should be there, but is missing or something like that. And I think we've already said this a bit, but the build number should increment when the continuous integration server builds. Right. And that's just best practice, you know, keeping yeah. that cadence up. And, and then can, that way, you, you know, kind of eyeball it and see how far, you know, like how old something is Yeah, as a developer. It's it's not really of much use beyond that, mm-hmm. um, in my experience, but it's there for that purpose. It, it would help with things like knowing where QA is versus where development is. Right. And you go, oh, well, hey, QA is actually 100 builds behind development. Maybe we should... Well, especially if you're incrementing the build number at master, um, you know, you might just keep it where you're incrementing in dev just on the current version and you just, you ratchet up the build number. And then when it moves, you, you cut that off and update. Well, yeah, that's what I would think. So those, those kind of strategies happen. So now that we've gone through the 
producer side, let's talk about the consumer side. In other words, you're using an API, um, an executable, like especially if you're calling it on the command line, uh, mm-hmm. you're using a component or whatever, a you know, RubyGem, a node package, an NPM or a, a NuGet package, you know, something like that. What do you do to not get burned? And, you know, Will wrote this, so this is a lot of his approach, but... And it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. There is some logic here, and it makes sense to me. Like you said, though, it's not going to work for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, bear in mind, I find my way by face planting into walls. There he, may be a wall in front of me that I don't know is there yet. He does. He really does, and it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, It kind of sucks when you're, you know... Cleaning up after it. <laughs> I was going to say uh, pair programming, but you know, yeah. yeah. So uh, the first here is, or, you know, read the release notes. Yeah. So when you get a patch, figure out what changed, because especially as you get close to a deadline, like they may go, oh yeah, we just added this other security assertion, you know, like, oh, this is a minor revision, right? Um, we just disabled TLS 1.0 and 1.1, you know, it's a minor change, right? Um, except when you're doing something weird and you don't realize, hey, I've got to go to 1.2 right now or things don't work. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you you know, don't do it. It just means that be aware before you start doing it so that you can take that to management before you actually do the update. I've gotten burned with this just on VS Code updates. Yes. This is actually where I started doing um, that. As a matter of fact, I have to fix a problem on mine right now with the, uh, the word wrap that I got burned on a year and a half ago, and I still hadn't gotten around to fixing it. I sent you how to fix that. I know. You did. <laughs> like, they've patched that three times since I sent you that. Oh, I know. <laughs> okay, so you see, even Will doesn't yeah. follow his rules all the time. No. But, you know... the Well, I can hit Alt-Z. I've got to work around, right? Yeah, yeah, so you've got to work uh, around, and, and that, that happens. But, you know, I, I got burned with... Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but I I sent you a message i'm like you know all just like up in arms complaining about this i'm like i don't think i'm ever going to use this again blah 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 and you're like dude it said in the release notes you got to do this i'm like what yep. and i can't even remember <laughs> what that was because that's happened more than once <laughs> um, well, and you and i do ha- that to each other too it's like oh you know google hangouts like if you, if you look through our google hangouts history like there's a lot of those kind of conversations where one of us will be ticked off and the other one's like uh dude yeah what <laughs> That is so, so true. But, um, you know, with, with that said, I mean, like, that is why I read the release notes because I've gotten burned by not. Also, don't update for a while after an update comes out. Give other people the chance to get burned first. And that is provided you re- read the release notes and know that there's not a zero day vulnerability getting fixed in there. Right. And, and the reason I say this is, a lot of open source stuff and a lot of closed source stuff too, but it seems like open source has been bad about this a little bit here mm-hmm. lately. They'll push a new update and it's some minor version increment and it actually does break your stuff. And yeah. if you just wait a hot minute, you might not be the one that gets broken. Instead, you get to read on Hacker News and point and laugh at all the other people. Um, that's a superior position to be in. Oh, yeah. I usually, I rarely ever update as soon as the update comes out. Yeah. Unless I'm forced to. Thank you, Windows. Yeah. I, I, you know, even just waiting a day. Yeah, it can make it, a big difference. Yeah, because you might lose a ton of time, especially if you just did a quick update and you're like, oh, that's such a minor you know, change that couldn't have been involved. And it's a chain of events that causes mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I, I, I would rather wait. Sorry. No. So next, when you're consuming a library and the major version has been incremented, don't update this directly in the development branch. Instead, oh my goodness, I've gotten burned by this. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I just, I'm reading through this and it just like brain explodes with, yeah, I had to actually completely roll back and lose all your changes that you did or, or copy them off. That's my favorite. It's like, like take a copy of the branch and then roll back and then copy the individual files back over so you don't lose all your stuff. Oh, no, no, no. So I was, I, at least I didn't do this before I'd made changes. I came into a code base that I hadn't touched in a while. And I decided, oh, hey, man, there's like 20 updates to NuGet packages. I ought to update my NuGet packages. So I just go into dev, not thinking I should branch off to do this. And I'm not the only one that's done this. Uh, It's almost all the junior developers at work have done this at one point or another. All the senior developers have, too. They just don't tell you about it. Yeah. And so I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, update all. And then nothing works. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I had to, I, be, thankfully, dev and test before I did this were the same, um, except for, you know, a few changes between environments. Uh, and so I was able to just throw away dev and copy from test, you know, just like branch from test to create a new dev. Yeah. And I, and like that, that took a day of time just because I didn't do your homework. Yeah. Um, I've done that, uh, where I've been in the middle of working on something. You're two weeks in and, you know, because it's a lot of major changes and your company doesn't have a really good branching strategy. You do that and you go, Oh, I need to update to the new version of this NuGet package. Um, my case, it was Newton soft and Ooh, they changed really? the way that objects get serialized. They changed the casing on oh, the yeah. JSON payload going down. And that hit me. Bear in mind, I'm a couple of weeks into something when I do this and it doesn't break. How long ago was that? Oh, it's been a year or two at least. There- because you can you can set yeah the way it does that now and you could but we had no default config right and oh and so it wasn't set that way and so okay like this stuff breaks and it doesn't break the build yeah it just breaks all the pages it's it's and you're like you know so you keep on going and and you're like oh it didn't break anything so i'm good you know and i'll run it and you know we've only got a few places where that you know like we where we've got heavy javascript because we've got a lot of old web forms yeah. And so it takes a while to get to it. And then all of a sudden you're like, what the heck is this? Don't do that. Like branch <laughs> off. Yeah. It, like you'll, you'll feel better about it because this is a big operation. This is a feature. Mm-hmm. It's okay to make a branch. Like it's branches are cheap. Yeah. Your especially, time is not. Especially if you're using Git and a lot of places have moved to Git. Now other. We're on subversion, but uh, we were on TFS. Yeah. And so. You know, and, and it still would have been worth it on TFS. I've. We've got some stuff. Some of our really old stuff is on TFS. Yeah. Well, everything's on TFS, but it's on, like, most of the newer stuff is Git on TFS. Some of it is using TFS's versioning. That's a pain. But well, if it's like, a really old crappy system, you might get another USB thumb drive and, and label it and then copy and work off of there. You know, if they're, like, using the old school versioning <laughs> of just, like, put another directory. But, like, it, it just almost never pays off to shortcut that. So, if it's a major version... Branch off, and you can get several things at once, right? Like just treat it like a cleanup task, and just yeah. handle it, and then mer- merge it back in. Oh yeah, uh, it the amount of suffering you avoid by doing that. Been there, done that, and it is yes. And now that you have, you can laugh at other developers when they step in it. Um, that's or, the only upside, or or be there for them and just be like, "I've done it. Here's what you got to do to fix it." Now, now go do that while I sit here and giggle. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, because it's a rite of passage, right? Like it it kind of is. It, it like after the fact, it it feels like that. I'm like, I can I can commiserate with other people that have done that same thing. Like yeah. I I feel more like a developer having done something stupid like that. Yeah, it's like a Cartesian product on a production database server on a sale day. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, don't do that either. So, um, <laughs> so next, when a library undergoes a minor version update. You're probably safe-ish updating in a development branch. Honestly, I wouldn't. Yeah. Make Make sure you can roll back. Yeah. Now, you can do it in a development branch, like if you just pulled, like your stuff is committed, where you can roll back. That's the big Mm -hmm. thing there. Um, And the reason I was saying on the major, by the way, breaking that off is because it may be a major change, hence the terminology. Mm -hmm. And you may get hit with, oh, hey, there's a major bug going on, and you've got to get off this branch and fix that and then come back. Yeah. Uh, with a minor, you're probably a little safer. The consideration here is the likelihood of this sending you down a rabbit hole trying to fix it. You know, like I said, I've I've been there. Some of the, the NuGet packages that broke were minor changes. Yeah, and then you never trust them again. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember the name of that package. Right. Um, you know, and I've worked with some that, uh, like, there was one uh, logging framework, and I can't remember which one it was. Um, it's been, great. this was 2012. Um, they did, like, a minor version increment. My memory's really rusty. So, again, I'm pretty sure it was a minor version. Um, but they changed the cryptographic key on it, like, the way mm. they, they're signing key. Yeah. And they didn't change, they only changed it on the 32-bit, and they didn't change it on the 64. And we had oh, stuff that was running both. Yeah. Um, 
like you just like just because they think it's minor um don't trust like verify and then trust so when a library has a revision change you really should be safe updating in development i mean maybe a few caveats but these are basically bug fixes right um unless they're just really incompetent or unless they're trying to hide the fact that they had a major issue that's true i've seen that before too especially with um some commercial software we won't name any names but like that can happen read the release notes um make sure that stuff doesn't change you know because they may have changed a method and said hey this can throw this other type of exception if you're doing exception trapping based on types that Mm -hmm. does matter that's a breaking change for you this is definitely not a time to skip reading the release notes when they update the build number you can pretty much ignore it that said, if they do give you release notes, check that yep. just to be sure, because like, don't ever assume the other party's not idiots is, mm-hmm. is basically the whole lesson here. Right. Um, now, there is one other thing to consider before we roll this, you know, finish this episode up. If you're using a package manager, especially, but this will get you with other stuff too. Um, be really careful about updates, especially very new ones. And the reason I say this is if publisher of a package gets breached, one of the main targets is their production release system mm-hmm. because they can ship code to everybody. Like the stuff that I see in NuGet scares me a little. The stuff I see in NPM scares the crap out of me. Well, you know, we've had this happen where on our website, yeah. um, the WordPress plugins, some of the WordPress plugins. And this was a case where the plugin got bought and nefarious code was inserted into it. And nothing was said about it getting bought or changing hands or anything like that. Yeah. And And so you auto update because if you're using WordPress, plugins are your main vulnerability, right? So you're like, hey, I got to update the plugins. Like as soon as I see it, I'm going to update it because there's probably a zero day. Something real bad is going to happen. So get it Mm -hmm. updated. And they slipped in bad code and you didn't vet it. Right. Um, And by you, I mean the generic you. Because I think both of us have done this at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll, It'll hit you. And a lot of times they'll sit in there for a while before it even starts taking effect so that you can't say that it was just this last patch. Like it was yeah. a patch six months ago and it's been sitting there waiting to be activated. And this is why you really should wait before updating because these things usually get caught pretty quickly. Yeah. Like you, you've got those people that update right away and they're going to catch them. Yeah. And it's going to get out. Um, yeah. Th- that's not foolproof. You should always be checking the release notes and you know, running things under minimum privilege. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, look both ways before you cross the street, but a piano might get dropped on your head. It's your, it's risk reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the minimum privilege thing, like on your development box, like you shouldn't have sensitive data on there anyway. Um, but let's say that it gets breached and you don't notice because if it's not doing anything particularly weird, you may not. Especially, mm-hmm. you know, third-party libraries, especially if they're binary, you know, you may not notice that. You start rolling it up to, you know, dev, QA, those kind of things. Like, especially your automated test suites, you start seeing weird stuff. You know, that that tends to be where stuff gets caught a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to push it out to your clients or to That's your true. production servers. Yeah. Guys, software versioning is pretty easy to get reasonably right as long as you know the basics. While there's always room for improvement... Adhering to basic practices can make the process easier and less likely to end in disaster. This was a basic rundown of how things work and are typically done. You'll see a lot of variants of this practice in the wild. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Yeah, so I just want to reiterate the thing about uh, safety with your web code and with all this other stuff that is going on. There is no perfect security solution. Uh, That's not a thing. It's not going to be a thing. It's a pipe dream. Uh, What you can do, though, is you can be a harder target um, because everybody pretty much is really lazy, um, especially the kind of people that start hacking into things and, you know, taking over systems. They're not going to pick a high value target if the target is hard. Uh, they're going to go for the easy stuff, especially like your script kitties, you know, the majority of your attacks, um, you know, viruses, those kind of things. Now, you are going to have situations where somebody gets really, really mad at you and they go after you specifically and they're going to get you no matter what. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about just 
um, run of the mill, like something stupid happens, you're vulnerable and you get nailed. Best thing you can do is to reduce your attack surface everywhere. You know, this, all the privacy stuff that has come up recently is basically a result of a lot of people not reducing their attack surface. Your government can steal your records. Hostile foreign governments can steal your records. Nobody's concerned about that at the same level as they're concerned about Facebook stealing your records. The reason they're concerned about Facebook is, is people have exposed themselves on Facebook. They've created a large surface area for personal attack. So just want to throw that out there. Be careful. The internet is always a dangerous place. It is potentially getting worse in some aspects and it's better in some aspects. Reduce the surface area of attack. That's only when you have. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.